When it comes to the plant-based eating debate, there's more to consider than just healthy or unhealthy. Of course, we want to eat things that make us feel good and generate energy to keep us going, but there's also a major environmental component that drives a lot of people to a plant-focused diet. But you don't have to give up some of your faves entirely. Impossible Foods makes meat from plants. They're solving the meat problem with more meat. By creating delicious meat from plants that's better for you and the planet, Impossible lets you enjoy some of your favorite meaty products with a plant-based twist. Ground beef, homestyle meatballs, sausage patties, all made from plants. And that's just a few of their delicious and versatile options. No more tension between craving meat but not wanting to eat so much of it or sacrificing your carnivorous faves for your health. Indulge in nutrient-packed, plant-based goodness and feel good doing it. Check out impossiblefoods.com to see how you can help solve the meat problem with more meat. That's I-M-P-O-S-S-I-B-L-E-F-O-O-D-S.com. Betches Media presents. Madam Speaker, Madam Vice President. You want to hang out with us? Get your vaccine. And so I went to Human Resources. There are some things I just can't tell you uh, on air. The Betches Sub Podcast. A woman's problem, if you will. Hello, I'm Amanda Duberman. I'm Elise Morales. I'm Caitlin Bird. And this is the Betches Sub Podcast, where C-SPAN meets group chat to help you process and laugh at the biggest topics in breaking U.S. news and politics. We have just hit the mic several minutes after it appears to have been confirmed by NBC NBC News that Justice Stephen Breyer will be retiring (gasps) from the Supreme Court. Yes. Yes, honey. Congratulations, Stevie. Go on vacation, Stephen. You take that retirement, honey. Oh, you can tax me an extra 1% just for the rest of Stephen Breyer's life if he gets get out of the to, way right now. I know. I'm like, get yourself, get thee to a beach, baby. You did it. <laughs> you did it. You did it. Oh, my goodness. The day has uh, the day has come. Oh, it is such a relief. I'm glad we don't have to have any arguments anymore. It's, <laughs> it's good. It's right. It's healthy. It's not like the last retirement we had on the court. Which mm-hmm. was extremely weird, Anthony Kennedy. You think I forgot? I did not. This <laughs> this time we we can we can breathe out and we can start thinking about wow, is this an opportunity for us to highlight how fucked the court is and possibly some judicial reform? Maybe throw it out there, Joe. You can do it. You mean maybe not just adding one person, but adding maybe. multiple people? Maybe. Mm-hmm. There's no, there's no rule. Listen, that's in anything Supreme Court is possible people. now. No Suddenly, rule. I'm filled with wonder and imagination. I, uh, it truly, it was interesting to. I, I wasn't expecting to get a little flutter of good or positive news of any kind today. So no, not at all. It's been a bleak week. I tweeted this morning. <laughs> I've spent every morning just sitting in my shower reading the shampoo labels to avoid starting the day. <laughs> Luckily, Stephen Breyer has brightened things up, has brightened things up. I mean, I mean, the most exciting thing about this or one of them is that the nominees, the people, it's got to be a black woman. We're going to get our first black woman on the Supreme Court. We've it's got so to. funny because last week, Sammy mentioned that there who uh, a black woman who couldn't be on the court. And immediately I was like, let me go find black women. I literally just Googled black women on the Supreme Court. So the bring up the list, the nice. the likely some of the, the names, the name that um, that Sammy was looking for was Ketanji Brown, 
uh, mm-hmm. who was recently Brown confirmed Jackson, yeah. to last year was confirmed to the Court of Appeals for the District of Columbia, taking over Merrick Garland's old spot mm-hmm. um, as he was promoted to AG. So promoted. Right. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Consolation prized over to AG. <laughs> was that the job he had when he was nominated? The same job that she has? Yeah, so all okay. things considered, I don't know if I'm I'm pretty excited um about that. There probably there we could have a Sherilyn Eiffel nomination, which would be incredible. I would the love I would have She did just for retire. Eiffel, what did she just know? Quietly calling out Clarence Thomas on the bench forever would be so Stop. worth it. I would you know what, let's just do it. Let's just forget everybody else. That alone. That alone is worth the ticket price. Or, you know what, let's not stop at one black woman. Let's let again. Let's talk about court reform. Let's talk about maybe if you add like six black women, can they argue? What are they going to say? Like, no, none of them are qualified. Hey, good, just get all the qualified black women, put them all in the court. Problem solved. Mm-hmm. I mean, that would solve a lot of problems. I so we've gotten the filibuster is already gone for judicial nominees, so they only need 50, the fifty, the fifty-one, the fifty-one that we have. Correct. Mm-hmm. Right. Can but then the there's vice always president break a tie on for Supreme Court. Nominees? Shit, I don't I... know if that's the case. Yeah. Again, this is breaking news. We have not <laughs> had the opportunity to game this out in the news. Well, there yet. is also the rumor that uh, Kamala Harris will be the nominee, but President Biden in his in his uh, press conference last month tried to dispel that and say, no, 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 she's definitely my. That would be kind of crazy. <laughs> <laughs> we could see this is where I'm saying we, we people are throwing out different names as if there's only one seat. But what if what if we just say that there's <laughs> as many seats as there are qualified black women to fill them? We, Caitlin, not, I, Caitlin, I love that you're, I love this because what you're doing is like sort of gaslighting. You're like, no, 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 no. It's not one seat. One seat. It's multiple, but it's working. I am going along <laughs> with it. It's multiple. What a, one seat? Look at this opportunity. We'd be silly not to. I mean, they give themselves three. When they basically only earn one, they didn't. They didn't earn any. There was zero, zero enough. earning in any of this. Uh, Mayor Garland was held out. They, they, they basically just stopped. So, so John Gorsuch should not be on the court. This is obvious. This is, he shouldn't be there. Barack Obama should have been making that appointment. The second one was Anthony Kennedy weirdly retiring suddenly after his son was also found to be at Deutsche Bank giving loans to the Trumps. Something that has weirdly never been fully investigated. And the, the third one we all know is Amy Coney Barrett being shoved onto the court eight days after, um, eight days before the election and literally minutes after uh, RBG um, that passes, passes away. It was perverse, perverse, okay, when we are in the middle of an election cycle, actually in the middle of it, not anticipating an election in the middle of the election, a month out from election day, that they were nominating a person to the court. There's no way she's legitimate. I refuse her and Gorsuch, absolutely. Kavanaugh obviously has the issue of, you know, possibly being a rapist. So (laughs) I feel like they're zero. All three of these people should be removed from the court. We should also add seats and we should replace those people. We definitely have to add some There's really no limits here. Let's, Let's go for it. Let's go for it. So I looked up whether a vice president can break a tie, and it's actually never even been required. Uh, It hasn't been needed yet. And it seems like, yes, 
but there are, you know, prudential, like prudent constitutional reasons why ah. maybe no. So it sounds like it, this is a showdown that we, we have coming. Again. <laughs> but I mean, I certainly would be appalled if this administration did not just go ahead and be the first. It's first time for everything. If it's Balls not against the, the rules. on everything right now. This mm-hmm. is the moment, in my personal opinion. As I pointed out, none of the people who have been nominated to the court in the last four years are legitimate nominees. I fundamentally feel that none of them have the right to be on that court. And on top of that, like, we need to rebalance the system. Like, it's very clear that they're breaking it. So, again, this is the moment. I mean, I thought that they should have gone balsa wall on voting rights, but now you've got a Supreme Court vacancy. Mm -hmm. The courts, if there's anything, anything that you should reform, like, your great-grandchildren depend on it. It is this. Joe, I mean, look into the child's well, eyes. I mean, Joe Biden has, that. as of yesterday, Joe Biden has nominated more black women to the federal bench than were on it in history before. This is nominated, but that's a good reserve to then add a bunch of Supreme Court seats with. Yeah, and I just, to what Caitlin was saying about the longevity of the court situation, like what we're seeing in our courts right now was a 40, maybe even going back 50 year long campaign by the right to get the courts like that's it is the fruits of a very like lengthy deliberate campaign that happened and so like it's gonna take some serious unraveling to do anything about it and we have an opportunity to do so right now which is why i think they should nominate sasha obama (laughs) (laughs) I love that. This is like a this is a bit for you, right? You've said that yeah. before. I, yes. Yes. Okay. Because I just I can't imagine. First I love of all, it. I love Sasha it. Sasha has no. I'm sure has no desire to do this <laughs> at all. Um, she's a beautiful young woman having the time of her life in college. I hope, but <laughs> I think I who's she's young. She's young. I honestly think we need Gen Z, somebody Gen Z on the she's court. She's Gen Z. If you're not, if you're not getting Gen Z consulting, then you Brita really. Thunberg, she's not eligible, yeah. right? I mean, oh, yeah, I don't think there, that... are there rules that you have to be in America? I don't think there are any rules around the Supreme Court. Just Maybe go not. for it. Whatever know. you want. I mean, wasn't John Quincy Adams a Supreme Court justice after being president? So they could they could nominate just Barack Obama would be amazing. Yeah, I think Barack Obama would. I feel like I he would love that job and murder people. I think she'd oh, be true, like, true, true, true. Everybody dies. Yeah, we have. Yeah. It's Michelle's first day on the court, and suddenly everyone's like, "Where is Clarence Thomas? What happened to him? Where?" And everyone's like, "I don't." The, all the other justices are like, "Nothing. We don't know who. We don't know what happened to him." Interestingly uh, enough, last week, uh, uh, Jane Meyer wrote a piece about Clarence Thomas's wife for Jimmy Ginny Thomas, who is a right wing activist. Mm. Um, and the possible influence she has on the court. Again, this is a moment where I feel like now that we're talking about the Supreme Court, now that we have your attention, <laughs> can we can we discuss the four four of the conservative justices who have no business being on this court? Can we can yeah. we do that? Because the ethics issues with Clarence determining things that Ginny literally invested money, did consulting on to get to the court in front of him. Mm-hmm. Feels, yeah, feels it's rough. Feels, yeah, feels it's rough. not good. Feels some like yeah. teapot dome, old school, you know, grant level corruption here. 
Yeah, I think this could be, you know, I think when the universe, when the universe talks to you, you should listen. And clearly the universe is telling us to take a, a good look at our Supreme Court options. We all know your hair and skin can sway your mood and impact your day in ways you can't underestimate. Sometimes what starts as a bad hair day quickly turns into a bad everything else day. I'd never found beauty products that really understood my needs, but ever since I switched to custom hair and skin routine with pros, I've noticed so many benefits. Healthier hair and skin, yes, but beyond that too. Since I started using pros, I've noticed consistently healthy hair. Even with all I put it through with the heat tools and the hairsprays to get this pompadour sky high, it smells great, it looks fancy on the shelf, and I like that it has my name right on it. This formula is made for V. Pros is made for people, not hair and skin types. Personalization is rooted in everything they do, from their in-depth consultation to their made-to-order model. From millions of possible formulas, only one is uniquely yours or mine. And Pros isn't just better for you. It's better for the planet. They're a certified B cruelty-free, and the first and only carbon-neutral custom beauty brand. They even have a review and refine tool, which learns from my feedback and adjusts my formula to keep up with the seasons and changes in my life. Pros is so confident that you'll bring out your best hair and skin that they're offering an exclusive trial offer of 50% off your first subscription at pros.com slash feverdream. So get your free consultation, then 50% off at pros.com slash feverdream. That's P-R-O-S-E dot com slash feverdream. Hey, American Fever Dream listeners, I'm here to tell you that there is no reason to panic the next time you're searching for the perfect gift. Now you can use Gift Mode on Etsy. Gift Mode on Etsy is here to take the stress out of gifting so you can find the perfect item for anyone and any occasion. It's easy. Just tap or click Gift Mode on your Etsy app or Etsy.com. Then answer a few short questions about who you're shopping for and what they like, and Gift Mode instantly gives you curated gift ideas based on hundreds of personas. Now it's simple to find gifts made by independent sellers for all the people in your life. Whether you need a Mother's Day gift for the quilter or a birthday present for the vintage hunter, there is something for everyone on Etsy. Some of the things I like to buy on Etsy have little dachshunds on them or are four dachshunds. Dottie's got a whole litany of new sweaters and harnesses and all kinds of fun stuff that we get lots of compliments on when we're out on walks. A gifting moment is always just around the corner, whether it's a birthday, an anniversary, a holiday, or even just a day to say thank you. Gift Mode on Etsy has you covered. Need to find the perfect gift? Don't panic. Try Gift Mode on Etsy now. So I guess we'll move on now to the topic we had planned to discuss today, which does actually at the end come to the Supreme Court. So we're doing something a little bit different today. We're going to talk about standardized testing. Uh, We're going to talk about the news from yesterday that the SAT will go all digital and kind of broaden out to the state of standardized testing for college admissions overall and how that relates to the stuff that we talk about, like equality and social justice. So let's get caught up. Yesterday, the College Board, which was is like triggering to the college board <laughs> too, too many memories i refreshed that website too many times i know i can see the website like I can, interface like, <laughs> yeah so yesterday the college board announced that after 2024 the sat will no longer be administered via pen and paper it's going to go digital internationally in 2023 and then permanently everywhere at 2024 That means no more number two pencils or bubbling in letters or worrying an errant smudge might derail your entire future. The tests are now going to be administered. You don't take them at home. You're still going to take them at testing centers on laptops or tablets. It's going to be on a back on a 1600 1600 scale, but the content of the test is going to change as well. It's going to be two hours instead of three. So obviously it's going to have fewer questions and there's going to be more time to spend on each question. 
You'll be able to use a calculator on the entire math portion, and the reading portions will be shorter and the topics are gonna to be more varied. I'm not sure what that means, just more varied. Last year, they got rid of the written portion, the essay question, and SAT subject tests, another triggering. Ooh, Ooh I didn't realize they got rid of the, the written portion. Mm -hmm. I'm so it was introduced the year that I took it. I think yeah. I don't know if you guys yeah. are the same age. But I think like, about yeah. I was definitely that, thrilled about it. It was definitely my highest score. I graduated in '08 from high school. Oh wow! I feel old now. When did you graduate? '06. <laughs> oh, six. Okay, oh, six, oh, seven, oh, eight. Oh, eight. Oh, I know, but, it, but when you hear someone two years behind, you're like, oh, Listen, shit. yesterday, yesterday, <laughs> we had to confirm for a company thing if any of our sub posts were under 25. And I was like, nah. Yeah, not us. <laughs> not these not these bags. <laughs> but um the the change comes as an increasing number of schools have well, let's sort of get back before we move into the reasoning for this, let's sort of think about get since we're talking about our SAT nostalgia or whatever the opposite of nostalgia is. Uh, what was sort of your SAT experience? Elise, you talk about this a lot. It's it's a related content to your other I it is. Uh, shout out my other podcast, The Roast of Your Teenage Self, on the All Things Comedy Network. Yeah. We actually, uh, it's funny because the episode we recorded yesterday, we talked a little bit about this story and went over. So the SAT is fresh on my mind. Um, Did we already talk about this once? And Caitlin, you said you took the ACT, or am I remembering that wrong? You took the SAT. I took the SAT. Okay. Maybe I took really. the SAT. It was when it was t out of <laughs> right. 2000 in instead of 1600 because they had added the essay. Um, I did not get a specific tutor for it, but I got one of those huge books, like one of those SAT prep books, and I was doing like test after test after test. I took it twice because my math score was very, very low. It was like 500 something, but I can't remember what it was. So I took it once and I was like, okay, I'm gonna get my math score up. I'm gonna take it again. So I take it the second time, I got, I ended up getting a perfect score on that essay. So my score did wow. go up, but my math score remained exactly the oh, same. No. And so I was just like, you know what? This is just how good I am at math. <laughs> like, <it's, laughs> we've done, we've taken the tests and it's come back two times. <laughs> I had that same experience. And I said to you on your podcast when I was on that, I do not know. I have no recollection of my actual SAT math score because I have lied about it for so long. I, I didn't, you know, your school see it, but I, I never told an externally the truth. I always lied about my SAT math score because I got, so we'll get into why, we'll come back to this, but let's get into why this change is happening. The change comes as an increasing number of schools have dropped standardized testing from its application requirements, including Harvard. Uh, I don't know why I put that. I think I was going to go right into more details about Harvard, but I didn't. So now it just sounds like I'm really including Harvard. <laughs> Even Harvard. Even Harvard. The move is partly aimed at improving equality, but was accelerated during the pandemic when many schools went test optional. Many of them have maintained this into 2021 as gatherings, such as assembling a lot of students to take a test, have been disrupted. So nearly 80% of schools now no longer require standardized test scores. That's compared to 45% pre-pandemic. So a lot of this change happening since 2020. This is according to the anti-testing group Fair Test, which has been responsible for a lot of this movement. In a pilot survey, 80% of students said that they preferred the digital version of the SAT. They said it was less stressful. And while some schools have made the test optional, others like the UC system will eliminate standardized testing for, from its decision making about admissions altogether. So we'll talk about like the differences between those. But back to the topic of solving for inequality, 
in many senses, the SAT is a test you can game. If you have enough money to pay for prep classes or a tutor, you are more likely to get a higher score. The test or if format, your parents literally pay for someone right. to take the test for you, and then oh, they're busted thing. in the college admissions oh, scandal. Thing. <laughs> if, if your parents pay a thirty-year-old man to take the test for you. Oh, that, that was my thing. favorite um, Operation Varsity Me Blues too. thing is that people kept being like, this man is a genius. He can take the SAT. And I'm like, well, it's a test for children and he's 30 years old and he takes yeah. it every day. So, yeah, I would imagine he can do a pretty good job. Yes, and that's <laughs> yeah. the guy who was probably sort of like the tutor. So, yeah. The test also, in its format, it's a disaster for people with disabilities. They are required to have accommodations, but I can only imagine that those are probably inadequate and don't always result in like an equal opportunity to excel on the test. So Elise, you said that you you just prepped like via book. You didn't do. Were you really stressed about it? Yes. Yeah. What about yes. you, Caitlin? I was stressed about everything regarding the college yeah. admissions process. Thanks. Um... I was I was like the literal inverse of, of Elise. I cared not at all. I did God zero prep. <laughs> I think on one of the one of the subject tests, I woke up. I went to bed at four a.m. and I woke up for that eight a.m. test. And I was like, whatever. And I just walked in. And I just did whatever. I didn't care. Um, but I also went to prep school, which meant right. that I was kind of tracked. Like there was never any question of when I was going to take it. Whatever is the only standardized test I took for five years like i never took any other standardized test that's uh, crazy to me because that's I, again it's a private school so i i just was never taking standardized tests i woke up it was a day i went i filled in dots uh and then i went and i i was free for the rest of the day for once it was really <laughs> nice so i just um yeah did whatever also yeah. i went to school on saturdays pretty regularly so waking up for a saturday <laughs> test was also not annoying it was like normal it was like oh i have to get to the place where i'm supposed to go my school did the sat and then we also did the psat every year to prepare you for the sat and i remember like they would tell you when the psat was but it always shocked me to my core <laughs> the day that i arrived at school and it was <laughs> the day of the PSAT, like, I, I remember never once did I, like, realize that that was what was going to be happening, and it was always the whole day, and I would take it in, like, a state of complete bewilderment, and then, like, the next day, like, whatever, you'd get your scores back, and they'd be like, you're an idiot, and I'm like, well, I don't know. <laughs> One of the good things about not taking standardized tests for a really long time was that I didn't view the SAT as a reflection of my intelligence in any meaningful way. Mm -hmm. Like, the school and was... And it was not. It, it, it's not, number one. But number two, it was started by a eugenicist, you guys, who uses words like racial degradation. That is This is not right. good. It's not a good test. It's a bad test. Also, this has been known for a really long time that it's hella racist. It's yeah. just built to exclude black people. It's designed for that. And the, the per same person who designed that test came up with the army test that was supposed to test intelligence which was based off of the cultural norms of like the 1% in 1910. So it turns out that if you took that test today, you'd also be graded, and I mean this literally, a moron. You would be, it would be like, mm -hmm. sorry, you are dumb. And you'd be like, I'm, no, I'm, I'm just born in the, in the late 20th century. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, if it were a good gauge <laughs> like, of intelligence, there wouldn't be tutors and like prep classes. I feel yeah. like I'm like, I feel like my, like I did take a, a class 
And I took it multiple times and I still perform poorly. I feel like I'm like the George W. Bush energy to this. Like I'm the problem. <laughs> like I got everything and I still could not do math. Um, and it's still, I mean, it, it ended, but like I said, like I got, I got the classes and I was able to like get into a good school in spite of it. But how, what is the idea here in terms of how this will improve equality? Like, well, I, I think the preparation yeah. specifically. I think that, well, I do think that it's a lot of the preparation, but I, I think it goes even deeper than that with the test where it's like, um, just language wise, it's written for white people to understand just a little, just a little bit more intuitively, you know? And when we're, when so much of it is about like interpreting words and the way things are said, I'm trying to remember like there, there have been studies done about this just like certain words that like a black child would use differently that doesn't make them dumb or less of a good I don't know academic person but everything on the test is kind of skewed towards like a white kid's existence and understanding of the world like it goes even deeper than just whether they can prep for the test too yeah it's it's very culturally based you know when you sit and you write a set of tests I mean, it's part of, I heard they got rid of the analogy section, then they put it back. And frankly, considering how some people make analogies on the internet, white and black, like, you know, let's just, maybe we need an analogy section. Yeah. Okay. Um, <laughs> we actually, maybe yeah, we need to understand, the analogy section understand how to compare things. <laughs> um, <laughs> just a little bit. But false equivalencies <laughs> always go viral, Caitlin. There you go. <laughs> you know, just believe whatever you want. That's what the new SAT is. Mm-hmm. And that's the point I of mean, going to college anyway. Uh, famous honestly, on the internet. standardized tests, I mean, as I said, they're they're basically eugenics projects. Um, they were developed as eugenics projects. They are designed to exclude certain people. And when you test well, I was a, a test well kid. I, I always, if you gave me a standardized test, I was going to do well on it. I almost always did. Whether or oh my not God, I'm so surprised. Is a totally different thing. Just to be clear, being good at standardized testing has nothing to do with your intelligence. It's uh, literally about your ability to replicate patterns. That's all it is, and and that is not a meaningful test, you know. So I'm hoping that yeah, maybe they'll reform the SAT, but maybe they'll just eventually abolish it because it's kind of ridiculous and it doesn't give you any sense. And it it's heavily, obviously an advantage for international students is if you're an English speaker. So your chances of, of progressing, obviously you want to, it's, if you're aiming for an American college, you probably would like to be somewhat fluent in English, but <laughs> it's still so painful for so many people who really just want a shot. And the number just boils down. It doesn't mean anything. I too took the math section I took the SAT three times because they needed the 1600 score and the 2400 score when oh, they yeah, introduced yeah, yeah. the same year that I was taking it. Ah, so I had to take it. Fun. I took it. I took it twice, once the 1600, once the 2400. And then the third time because they were like, oh, well, we want to uh, double up that 1600 score. So I was like, OK, I guess I'm just going to do this forever. My math <laughs> score didn't change either. The no. same number all the way across. I mean, I no. feel like this speaks to just like... <laughs> The I math almost got in the way of my entire future. Like, like, not <laughs> be, and I have never used math. math and not being good at math, like affected what college I could get into. And then I had to transfer. And it's 
it's ridiculous. So like the idea of, and Elise was talking about, you know, the PSAT. It's like you take it in 10th grade and then you're immediately separated into like, these kids are the smartest people on the planet and they're going to be presidents and ambassadors and solve all the problems. And you're in the bottom 20 percentile. It was like, yeah. And then you just feel bad about yourself. Honestly, I think it embedded shame in me for life. I'm not kidding. Yeah. These stupid tests and not being getting a good math score. So it's like, it's obviously about the equality too, but it's like the internalized shame that you develop as a kid over this, I remember when we were applying, there were like soft minimum scores, which is now crazy to think about. And you just wouldn't apply somewhere if it said like, don't bother applying if you didn't break 600 on this, which is insane. Think of that much of potential in somebody who just is not naturally good at math. Yeah, it's the college application process in general. I found I it, it really caused me huge anxiety as a kid. And like when we talk about the things that are like exclusionary and things of that nature it's even the process itself of applying to college is already so exclusionary to so many kids who maybe don't have parents who have done it before or don't have parents who are involved in their lives to help them or just you know have to do more paperwork by nature of the fact that once you're bringing financial aid into the picture and FAFSA and all of that stuff it's like you're doing serious adult paperwork as a child, whereas some other kids literally like their parents pay someone to do the entire application for their kid. Maybe their kid writes the essay. The, the parents pay for the essay to be edited a thousand times. They do all the nasty paperwork and you find out that you got into Yale. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, exactly. And I do want to mention, just in case my dad is listening, that I did forget my calculator at the SAT, and he did wow. have to come bring it to me on a Saturday. Wow. TI-83? Yes. Of course, of course. The most important thing. I just yeah. forgot it. Uh, yes. Somehow, somehow, here I am. You can succeed even if you don't do well at the SAT, children. Exactly. Just in case, for some reason, children are listening. One more question I had was, if it's test optional, like, does it still give a shine to the like I think who the SAT, SAT helps the most potentially can be wealthy privileged kids who don't get amazing grades or grades that don't meet the standard for where they want their parents to go but their parents can pay for enough SAT tutoring that they can get amazing scores and say like look everything's okay so I, I do wonder if still if you are able to access those privileges to get a good score if it's still going to put a shine on your application mm -hmm. that somebody else's doesn't have. You know what shine puts on your application when your parents are worth millions of dollars? That, 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 that as someone, again, I went we to school pay. with the yeah. kids, with them. Uh, to be fair, my school was, was very competitive and I wasn't aware of a lot of trust fund babies um, who, who weren't doing work. Like almost everybody was doing some work. Um, it happens when you live with people. It's very hard for them to lie about how much work they're doing. Yeah. Um, but at the other side, I also know somebody who got into Yale maybe because their dad donated squash courts. So, maybe. you know, then in the end, it didn't really matter what the SAT score was. You know, it's, it, if, they're, if they're looking for an excuse to accept a kid whose parent is going to give millions of dollars, I guess an SAT score mm -hmm. can be the fig leaf for that excuse. But um, 
in the end, you know, if you're worried about like privileged kids still getting an advantage, they got all the advantages built it's in, fine. you know, being rich is the number one advantage you can have. And your rich ass parents doing everything they can to make sure that you never have to touch the ground. You live in a Palantine and <laughs> you never, you don't even know what dirt is. That's the, that's the world that their parents are trying to build them for. And, you know, it works. There's mm-hmm. nothing you can do about that, whether or not they're standardized testing. Mm-hmm. Again, yeah. though, standardized testing is hella racist, super classist, and should be abolished. On that note, I was wondering when I saw this <laughs> if, like, okay, we know the angry white parents, like, they're very, some of them are very angry right now. The SAT is, as we've talked about, in its own way, a, like, educational thing that preserves and upholds white supremacy. So are we going to get a bunch of angry white parents to this being like, no, this is unfair. Like, you have to consider my, I don't know. I don't even know what they'd say. But I'm just curious to see if there's any bubbling over there and if they're consistent or if when it does benefit their child because their child's not a good test taker, they're just like, fine, this is great. Nah, because to be honest, we're going for the affirmative action thing altogether. So there will never be black kids competing with their children at all. They figured out that don't don't go with the fig leaf, don't go with the excuses, just destroy the source. If they're not good enough, which is literally anything that white people feel might threaten them, then the child doesn't get in. Problem solved. Only white children are unthreatening. And therefore, we're, our problem is, is resolved in terms of whether or not there's enough opportunity for, I don't know, little Muffy to make it, it you know, in, even though she <laughs> can't spell her own name. It's yeah. five yeah. letters, girl. It's a wordle. How can, how is that? Yeah, the Two of the letters are the same, baby. <laughs> no, I was thinking of this this morning. I was like, this is wonderful. Standardized testing is, is just a completely like inane measurement of intelligence. And then I'm like, I'm literally, my self-worth now depends on how quickly I can guess a five-letter word. <laughs> but I'm, <laughs> uh, so, I mean, so it sounds like, like, Bad news is this isn't going to fix inequality in education. Good news is it was never going to. There's so many factors. We all dread the what should we have for dinner question. I mean, I know I do. I love a home-cooked meal, but I don't always have the time, energy, or groceries to make it happen. Being able to feast on a delicious meal without the long prep and cook times is what drew me to Home Chef over the other guys. Home Chef's meals are effortless, so I can spend less time trying to be Top Chef and more time watching it. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. Whether you prefer classic meal kits with pre-portioned ingredients and easy instructions, speedy recipes ready in less than 30 minutes, oven-ready kits with pre-chopped ingredients, or quick microwave meals that assemble in minutes, Home Chef has you covered for delicious meals without the hassle. Home Chef has over 30 options a week and serves a variety of dietary needs, so you never have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. For a limited time, Home Chef is offering our listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and of course, free shipping on your first box. Just go to homechef.com slash fever dream. That's homechef.com slash fever dream for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard that right. Homechef.com slash fever dream must be an active subscriber to receive free dessert. When it comes to the plant-based eating debate, there's more to consider than just healthy or unhealthy. Of course, we want to eat things that make us feel good and generate energy to keep us going. But there's also a major environmental component that drives a lot of people to a plant-focused diet. But you don't have to give up some of your faves entirely. Impossible Foods makes meat from plants. They're solving the meat problem with more meat. 
By creating delicious meat from plants that's better for you and the planet, Impossible lets you enjoy some of your favorite meaty products with a plant-based twist. Ground beef, homestyle meatballs, sausage patties, all made from plants. And that's just a few of their delicious and versatile options. No more tension between craving meat but not wanting to eat so much of it or sacrificing your carnivorous faves for your health. Indulge in nutrient-packed, plant-based goodness and feel good doing it. Check out impossiblefoods.com to see how you can help solve the meat problem with more meat. That's I-M-P-O-S-S-I-B-L-E-F-O-O-D-S.com. So the Supreme Court, which will soon have a new member, potentially many new members, agreed on Monday to decide whether race-conscious admission programs at Harvard and UNC were lawful. The outcome of these decisions could impact the fate of affirmative action nationwide. And if this sounds kind of familiar, it's because the court has been asked to do this before and have usually sided with the universities and their interest in creating a diverse student body, most recently, I believe, in 2016. But of course, the court has swung in the right to recent years, throwing into question whether race can be used as one factor among many in evaluating applications. These two cases are slightly different. The UNC one is pretty straightforward with the plaintiffs saying that the university discriminated against white and Asian applicants by giving preference to black, Hispanic, and Native American ones. I assume they're putting in the same category Asian applicants and, and Asian American applicants. A lower court ruling upheld Harvard's policy in a limited sense, saying that it was allowed to consider race in a limited capacity in addition to many other factors. So this is sort of like where this has stood previously. Like you can consider it. It can be like a tipping point, I guess. Mm -hmm. Also in this case, the plaintiff, it's the same plaintiff for each case, which Caitlin, I'm curious if you know more about this guy. He's nuts. (laughs) Uh, Is alleging that Harvard's policy discriminates against Asian American applicants. What they're doing is they're using statistics to show that Harvard has imposed a soft quota on Asian and Asian American applicants. Harvard rates potential applicants on their personal qualities, such as personality, likability, courage, kindness, and being widely respected. This is in addition to their uh, more objective qualities. So what I believe happened is that the group gained access to several years of Harvard's files, which showed that Asian American applicants were consistently rated lower than other racial groups on personal qualities. This is accurate. This is true. I believe Harvard testified that that was accurate, um, even though that was like not the intent. But just statistically, that was the case. So they also said that the percentage of admitted students, the plaintiffs who are Asian American, has stayed the same for a number of years, despite the size of the applicant pool increasing. So that brings us to these two cases. As I mentioned, what's the people behind this are called Students for Fair Admissions. They're the lead plaintiff. It's run by this guy called Edward Blum, who has sort of been a driving force yeah. behind this and just a bunch he of other related Abby efforts. Fisher. Sure. Abby Fisher. I was like, who was that redhead girl? I remember <laughs> that case. It was terrible. Um, I mean, I was an affirmative action kid. I, <laughs> I, I, as I said, I went to prep school. The, the prep school aspect was not because my parents were rich. Um, it was it was because there were no brown people. I was also the only black girl in my year. Um, only black American girl in my year. Um, and I'm sure Which, you skated by. Oh yeah, it was super sure. easy. Nothing is and, so nothing is was so easy being the only for person you. <laughs> like you in a space. Very easy. Super. I, I basically you're so even, lucky to be here. I didn't even work the whole five years. I never took a test. No, obviously, like what the f- the biggest problem you know with the entire argument is that like. <laughs> For a very long time, everything was like 100% white people. Um, so so when you think about that statistically, it feels like 
maybe something's off, <laughs> you know, in the, the comp- composition. Even if you're going to lie to yourself about meritocracy, are you really saying that Black people didn't start getting smart until like 1954? Really? You sure? You sure you want to do that math? You sure you want to be like, well, this was the first time any Negro was good enough for us. Like, okay. <laughs> the, the, and using Asian Americans as a stalking horse for undermining, you know, white supremacy, you know, like, like reinstalling white supremacy as if like, if they try hard enough, they can get into whiteness. You can't. And also white people are using you. And if you continue going along this path, all of a sudden you will see larger and larger amounts of white people who are the real share that, again, should be shrinking, but are not for some reason. Mm -hmm. Legacy admissions. And I know because I went to a school that feeds more people into Harvard than any other fucking school on the planet. Legacy admissions. It's money. This is not about meritocracy. It was never about meritocracy. But if you're worried about your kid getting an opportunity... Saying that a black kid doesn't deserve to be there is not the answer to this problem. Yeah, I I really feel like when you're looking at these cases, uh, number one, this Edward Blum guy, if you ever want to look into him, he's a terrible, nefarious figure. And I think it's particularly nefarious of him to use Asian and Asian American students in this way, because I do think that they found something that Harvard admissions needs to figure out within their own system, which is that they are rating Asian, like Asian American and just Asian foreign applicants. They're rating them personality wise wrong. And clearly there are cultural, stereotypical, all sorts of other preconceived notions that are going into that. I think that should be addressed. That shouldn't be happening to Asian applicants that are trying to go to Harvard. But that doesn't mean that the system of affirmative action or trying to diversify, that's not on the system of affirmative action or trying to diversify the campus. That is on like Harvard's internal system to figure out and I adjust accordingly it's not that doesn't that doesn't mean that the entire process of affirmative action for every single school and the things that we're doing to try to correct the issue of all white institutions needs to be completely drawn asunder mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah and i mean harvard is sort of saying we have so many people apply here we have to have things that that tip the scales and they are not just race i mean i an anecdote they share was like Imagine you have you have two people. It's like you can one thing's going to they're the same. Something could tip like it could be if it's a white person, maybe their dad also went there or their mom also went there. That could tip them just as much as like race could. But I guess we're getting up to these, you know, maybe very rare scenarios where it's like, well, what if you have, you know, um, a a black kid and a white kid and the black kid's black, but the white kid's dad went to Harvard. Like, what is the white kid? Exactly. That's what that's what you say the whole time. Like when we're talking about legacy admissions covered a new element. And the white kid will get it. <laughs> if it comes yeah. down to it. <laughs> oh, your daddy went to Harvard? I need to express this. Like, this is so powerful. I remember, this was a kid who went to my school, but it was not my year. But I remember that she got into Vassar. And it was a big deal. And she was really proud of it. But she didn't get into Harvard. So the next year, her dad basically had her transfer to Harvard using the fact that he was an alum. Like this is very, I cannot express to you 
There's no one. There almost none of the white people at Harvard deserve to be there. There are probably a subset of poor people. The poor people deserve to be there. But if yeah. you're if you're a legacy, you probably JD Vance appears behind I'm Caitlin sorry. to start yelling. It's, it's a fundamental thing where it's like the kids that sorry. the white kids that go to Harvard are smart. They're very smart. But like a lot of kids are very very smart. So it, there's no actually fair, fair like I was a, I was technically a legacy where I went. I think I'm smart, but a lot of people are really smart. I definitely, there were definitely smarter people than me that probably didn't get the opportunity. It's like, just because you're smart and you worked really hard, I mean, it just, it's like your privileges show. It's like, so what? So what? A lot of people are smart. That doesn't mean you get a, you doesn't mean you get a built-in chance to go to Harvard, you know? In one sense, like Harvard was saying, sometimes it's not necessarily even race. It's just like you overcame (laughs) discrimination and that is what makes you valuable. So maybe Connor, whose dad went to Harvard, did not overcome discrimination and therefore maybe is not going to add something valuable that we need to our student body. So, I mean, people are pretty nervous about this because it's been a really long effort and some of these uh, justices that they've added seem like they could be, they could warm to it. But yeah, I mean, Caitlin, do you think there's something in the constitution that says you can't do affirmative action? No. (laughs) Here's the thing. I'm not a constitutional lawyer, so I should step back from that. The argument is, first of all, almost all the conservative justices don't even care about what that document says. Their job is to find motivated reasoning. (laughs) Their job is to elucidate the, the, the conclusion that they already want to reach and to create some kind of logic that leads you there. It is not to actually ask, wait, can private institutions do whatever the fuck they want? And the answer is yes. Harvard does not owe your child shit. I just need to be clear about this. Harvard does not owe anybody anything. It's screwed up. I don't like the system that they have. I know it personally. I didn't apply there, but I, again, as I said, I know a lot of people who did. Mm-hmm. I know a lot of people who applied to Ivy's. This was the norm at my school where no one People people might have taken a post year, but everyone was going to college. That's the rule. Mm-hmm. When your parents are spending 50 grand a year on your education, you are never going to... The, the, the system is completely tiered. So this notion that Harvard owes you something is absurd, first. But second of all, the idea that the <laughs> correcting, understanding that, that legacy admissions is racial for obvious reasons, because it used to be there was one black student and there might be two Jews. That was it. Your chances of being one of the people whose parents went to Harvard, whose grandparents went to Harvard, who who have a legacy. So we're allowed to go. (laughs) We're allowed to go to Harvard is extremely small. Now, if you want to talk about state school systems, the bigger issue might be that UNC is not representative of the actual state that they are in. You know, that's part of the reason that Texas 10% rule worked a lot better because Mm. the segregation in American education, which theoretically should not exist, which is a problem because Brown is based off of the Constitution. Weirdly, this affirmative action case is not going to refer to Brown, is not going to talk about uh, uh, educational segregation, is not going to reference the fact that we do not have an equal society and that we do for we do not have equality of opportunity. And is not going to to manage the reality that these institutions are built to support white supremacy. And because of that, we're, we're just going to have an argument where they say, like, black kids are undeserving or they have lower grades or whatever without asking, hey, how many generations of this kid's parents actually went to college? Mm-hmm. How many 
uh, how, how many resources do they have? Black, the, the racial wealth gap is gigantic. And the uphill climb for many Black and Latino kids is way higher than it is for even Asian American kids who are also have a higher climb than white kids. This entire system is not <laughs> built to uh, encourage education, but that's right. not the point. So, you know, they're going to they're going to say what they want to say, which is, you know, um, you know, black people don't. You know, I almost I would just wonder how effective it could be if, if these angry white students would just channel their ire at like the people who created this problem. Like this is this this is a correction that is required. So be mad at like the racist guys from 50, 100 years ago who made this necessary in the first place. Thank you so much. That was an awesome show. Until the end of Democracy, I'm Amanda Duberman. I'm Elise Morales. I'm Caitlin Byrne. And this is the Betches Sub Podcast. Bye. The Betches Sub Podcast is produced by Amanda Duberman, Jorge Morales-Pico, and Sean Kilby. Editing by Jorge Morales-Pico. Social media by Amanda Duberman. Be sure to follow at Betches underscore SUP on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. And send us your emails to SUPPod at Betches.com. Betches.